On the morality of real love, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. The Christian testimony is that we are different, we're strange, not in a weird way, but in a real way, in a pure way, that as believers we are living pure lives with pure love that's not of our own making. Because in our love, we hate what's evil. This would be called the morality of love, the essence of love. Real love has a reality to it. The problem in our society, and it snuck its way into the church among us as believers, is that we simply don't hate what is evil. This is amazing grace. Love that hates. It sounds counterproductive, but when it comes to evil, the enemy of love, it's necessary. Of course, we're not talking about hating people. We're to love people, but hate evil. That comes to our attention today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll dig deeper into Romans 12 today. And now here is Pastor Ed to take us into this very practical chapter once again. Paul helps us in establishing the right beliefs but now he's going to direct and has been directing our behavior. And it opened up in verse 1 of chapter 12, did it not? When Paul said, I beg you. It's almost like a pastor. At times I'm just sensing in the room that, that I need to plead with you. Listen to me. I beg you. Therefore, he says, by the mercies of God that you present, your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That is the first step. With all that you and I know, the first step is this. Present yourselves to God, all of yourselves. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get your vertical relationship in order. That's the upward. Then you begin to deal with all the horizontal relationships. We often make a grave mistake when we run around trying to fix all the little horizontal things, all the lateral things, all the things around us, really all the while ignoring our relationship with God. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then love your neighbors yourself. It's not the other way around. You get caught up in going around trying to fix things and take care of things and watch this, and you'll forget that your strength and your wisdom, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so have that vertical relationship correct. Hey, then you begin those horizontal relationships. And that's where, from verses 3 through about 8, the second thing Paul encourages us to do, hey, present yourselves to God first, then secondly, present yourself to the church. Present yourself to the church and serve God with your spiritual gifts. We spent eight weeks looking at each gift one by one, introducing them, and then encouraging you, hey, get involved. Let me tell you, those of you that have been sitting on your gifts and haven't been serving in the context of this church, we suffer. We suffer as a church. Now, where exactly do we suffer? You know what? We don't exactly know until you get up and start serving. Then when you start serving the Lord in your spiritual gifts, we begin to say, oh, oh, that was a great addition. What a great idea that God inspired. You see, the fellowship family here at Calvary, we're not the kind of church that's going to plan everything, you know? we got to have this ministry, this ministry, this ministry, this ministry, and we'll throw out all the ministries to you because we figured it out. 
and just plug into one of them. But instead, what we would seek to do is to be led by the Lord. We expect God to speak to you directly, to speak to your heart in your quiet times, in your devotional times, in a Bible study like this, to inspire you in your giftings, and then you step up and you go, you know what, I've been sharing the gospel with my neighbor for X amount of years, and I just think I want to help other people share the gospel with their neighbor. And we go, oh, great idea. How can we help you? How can we see that happen? How can we watch you? Oh, I know. Some of you are going, hey, hey, hey come on, man. I'm, you, I've already asked to serve, and, and you told me I had to wait six months. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We want you to wait on the Lord. It's a good thing to wait on the Lord. You know that, right? Just to get to know the fellowship family here. Maybe the church you came from, you were serve, serve, serve. And here at Calvary, we want you to see, hey, you know what? You're valuable to us whether you serve or not. Your identity is not in your service. And we got into that in other Bible studies where the balance. You go, hey, I'm ready to go. Well, be ready to go right now learning how to submit to authority and waiting on the Lord. And watch him raise you up. That's what the Bible says, right? God raises up one, he puts down another. It's his work. He's doing the work in our lives. We're not working for God. God is working through us. And what a relief. Present yourself to the church. You know, just a few of you fall into that six-month category. Many of you have been around a long time. It's time to get up. Serve the Lord in the context of your fellowship family here at Calvary. Then from verse 9 all the way through chapter 12 and 13 is God is going to be teaching us through Paul to present ourselves now to the world. You got get right with God vertically and then horizontally get involved in your church practice and grow and mature within the context of the church and then present yourselves to the world. Go out into a world, a dark world, and shine the light of the gospel, loving them as a witness of Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so we're going to go through a few of the little things, little tidbits that are going to help you and help me grow and be more strong and mature in being a witness in this world, in being a servant in this church, being a believer submitted to the Lord. Verse 9, let love, this is Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, verse 12, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, give into hospitality, and then we'll even get more. We're going to break this down over the next few weeks, and then verse 14, bless those who persecute you, how to deal with your enemies, and those that you might be at odds, bless and do not curse. And we'll get into that as we finish up Romans chapter 12. He begins in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't just pretend to love others, Paul says. Don't just be a pretender. Let it be true. Let it be genuine. Let it be real. Let it be authentic, that love that flows through you. Don't try to make it up. Don't try to work it up. Don't will yourself to love, but be a willing vessel allowing God to love others through you. This word hypocrisy in the original language, the idea of hypocrisy, the word you can circle, you go right next to it, two-faced. I'm sure you've met a two-faced person here and there in your life, haven't you? Two-faced, hypocrite. And the picture comes to us from the plays of ancient Greece where the actors would play different parts. They would play different parts by using different masks to portray emotion. For instance, if they wanted to portray an actor, a, a, a role that was very, very happy, they'd put up a mask in front of their face with a big smile. 
even if they were tore up inside and crying, they would be playing in an act with a mask that portrayed happiness or vice versa. They'd put a mask to portray sorrow even though inside they could be very, very happy. You know, I've met a few Christians that do the same thing. Really, really good. I've looked myself in the mirror a few times and I've seen masks on my own face. Just really not wanting to be authentic, not wanting to be genuine, just wanting to close other people off and I just got the mask on. You know what Paul says, the Bible tells us, let your love be without any kind of masks. Let it be real. Let it be genuine. Let it be authentic. In the church of Jesus Christ, if anyone on the planet was to see true, genuine love, it would be here among believers. We're told don't play act when it comes to love. There's no such thing as imitation love. People can tell the difference between a real, genuine love and a fake, false love. You can tell the difference. It might take some time. You know, it might take some time for the mask to wear off or true colors to show or, you know, you hear things because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It might take some time, but you're not going to be able to fake it for long. You know, your words might say, happy, 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 and your face might say, sad, sad, sad. Let love be genuine. Don't fake it. Let it be sincere. There was a common love that the early church, the first century church, it's been a mark of the church from the very early days, from Pentecost, from the time Jesus blows on the disciples and gives them the Holy Spirit, the mark among Jesus and his followers, the identifying mark, the thing that blows people's minds is love, especially among those of you that would be lined up, if we were to line up and say, okay, everybody here, I'd like everyone here, if you would describe yourself as being a loveless person, you go, that was me, before you were saved, that was me, I was real loveless, and we just lined you up and we brought all the people in your life to you now, and they'd say, oh yeah, that's a big difference in him. He's not like that. She's not like that anymore. She was a very hateful person. She was a very mean person. But now as a believer, I'm still having a hard time believing it. Get angry. Be hateful again. I liked you, you know. Many of your family, they don't get you anymore. They liked it better when you were hateful and angry. But now uh, your presence in their lives as a vessel of love is convicting to them. And not everybody likes that. Not everybody likes you to be so loving and so genuine and so sincere. But I'll tell you what, God likes it. He loves to see his church. That's what Jesus said, right? He's, he said those that would come in among us would know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ. By what? By what, church? Our love for one another. Here, among us. You know, the early church, they were a love-filled congregation. They were the best servants. They were the best slaves. They were the most faithful at work. They were the kindest people. They, they just came together like this, you know. They came together, they sing songs together. They ate together. They, they studied the Bible together. They served together. They encouraged one another. They always prayed, just like we do now, just like what the church does today. And yet, for those that were in leadership, for the Roman government, they were concerned. Because this same group of people refused to bow down to the image of Caesar. They refused to put a pinch of incense and give loyalty to, to the God that was known of that day, Caesar. They wouldn't worship Caesar. They worshiped Jesus. You know what the government did? They sent spies in to the church gatherings to find out because they were concerned that this group of people were, would be disloyal and maybe overtake the government. 
Tertullian, who was a Christian apologist of that first century, the second century there, came and he wrote of the reports that the spies came back with. Listen, I quote, this is his report of the spies coming back. These Christians are very strange people. <laughs> Not much has changed, huh? Oh. They meet together in an empty room to worship. They don't have an image. They speak of one by the name of Jesus who is absent but whom they seem to be expecting at any time. And my, how they love him and how they love one another. It's just, man, it's just palpable. Especially when you're away. I mean, in the, the love in this church is unbelievable. It's just a, we are so blessed here. It's such a wonderful, this is a great church family. And when you're gone for a couple weeks and you come back, you can see it even more clearer. The ministry and, and, and the love and the care and the concern the Spirit of God moving among us, we are a blessed people here at Calvary. We are blessed to be a part of what God is doing just here in this fellowship. God's moving in many, many churches, doing a lot of great things, but for us here, it is palpable, it is recognizable, it is observable, you can feel it, you can receive it, you can give it, the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. Oh, don't miss out on that church. But getting caught up in all these side issues, taking our eyes off of the God of love. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be a part of a church that really takes this to heart. Let love be without hypocrisy. That's not to say that we're not going to have our days, right? Do you ever have your days? Anybody have days here? Yeah. Oh, Ed, man, I've got months, man. Years. I know. We all have our days. The flesh sneaks up on us and get caught off guard or we walk headlong into it. It's not that we're not going to have our days. We are. But see, in our hearts, the motives of our lives, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't be, don't be two-faced when it comes to love, he says. And then notice, abhor what is evil, verse 9. We don't use that word abhor very much anymore. But you can circle it. You can write next to it, hate a lot. That's what it means. Hate a lot. Hate evil a lot. It literally means to despise or to hate terribly or to hate a lot. In the Greek language, remember the New Testament written in Greek, Old Testament written in Hebrew? In the Greek language, this is one of the strongest words that could be chosen to display hatred. And what does Paul say? Hey, let love be without hypocrisy, and at the same time, on the other side of the coin, hate what is evil. The Christian testimony in this world is that we are different, we're strange, not in a weird way and in a goofy way that we can all chuckle about, but in a real way, in a pure way, that as believers we are living pure lives with pure love that's not of our own making. Because in our love, we hate what's evil. This would be called the morality of love, the essence of love. Real love has a reality to it. The problem in our society, and it snuck its way into the church among us as believers, is that we simply don't hate what is evil. We embrace it. We make excuses for it. We invite it in. We hang on to it. We play around with it. We mess around with things that are clearly evil. And so some of you are like, hey, wait a minute, Pastor. Who are you to tell me what to hate, what not to hate, what I should do, what I shouldn't do? Who are you to tell me what's wrong for me? I can set you very, very straight and clear on that. I'm nobody. I'm a believer just like you. But let me tell you something. My Bible is clear. It couldn't be more clear here from God to us, that we're to hate what is evil. And God himself defines for us what is evil. That kind of attitude is kind of, 
it snuck into our lives, you know. Oh, you know, what's good for me might not be good for you, and what's good for you, you know, all that, that's secular relativism. That's what it is. We were all taught that growing up. At a very young age, kids are taught, well, you know, here's the situation. So what do you think? How does the situation work here and work here and work here? And they wanted to come up with different conclusions based on the circumstances. It's all relativism. You know, one of the themes you're going to find in the book of Judges, it's said at least twice that in those days there was no king. And all the people did that which was right in their own eyes. That kind of attitude, secular relativism, leads to the kind of society that we live in today. It leads to chaos and anarchy. And it's not the heart of God. There is a king in Israel. His name is Jesus Christ. There's a king in Aurora too, you know that? There's a king of Calvary Chapel Aurora. His name is Jesus. And we don't need to do what's right in our own eyes. We just need to follow him as our shepherd, as our pastor. And he'll hook us up, you know? He'll take care of us. You know that, right? He'll give you direction. He'll answer your prayers. He'll help you with the hard decisions. He'll define for you. You got something that's questionable in your life right now? You ask God, God, is this evil? He'll answer. He'll tell you straight up. Yeah, it's evil. I despise that. Get it out of your life. Don't mess around with it. It's going to lead to your destruction. And I know some of you, you're, you're kind of cautious when it comes to hatred. Because you, uh, when you weren't a believer, you were a hateful, angry person, right? And so, like, you might be hearing me wrong here, and you go, what? Are you, uh, you giving me permission to hate again? Hmm. <laughs> no, I'm not. Neither is God. This isn't permission to hate people. Notice, he says, hate what is evil. Hate it. God isn't giving permissions to hate everyone. I mean, we know God is a God of love. That's what moved him. In John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We realize that that love of God is so wonderful, but you know, God hates evil. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 8, would you? I want to show you this, Proverbs chapter 8. It really flows through our lives and in double encouragement to hate what is evil. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. What? Evil. It's what it says. Pride, arrogance, and the evil way, the perverse mouth I hate. I mean, it's just the way it is. Many people have lost the fear of the Lord because they stopped hating evil. It's how they go together. You can watch them work together. The fear of the Lord, hate evil. You don't hate evil, you're going to lack that fear of the Lord. You're going to make some really, I'm going to make some really knuckleheaded, sinful decisions. It's a tough spot, isn't it? Some of you, when I speak of evil, you can define it for me. You've been robbed at gunpoint. You might have been sexually abused or hurt, taken advantage of, perhaps raped. You have experienced the horrible pain of divorce, been ripped off. I mean, we could name a whole list of evils that you could say, I, you know, Ed, I mean, evil is not just some concept. I, I know evil. I've experienced it. Let me say, church, evil you can hate. Those evil acts, you can hate them. You can despise them. You, you can look at them and go, oh, I wish that would have never happened, you know, but God, he's going to use them. He's going to help you. You don't need to take things into your own hands. He's going to be a strength to you. Even as you process through, even so, you know, sometimes evil enters into our lives and then we start to blame God and we start to point the finger at God and, and God in his long suffering, he receives that, you know, he comforts you and he helps you to navigate through these things and you know, I know you can hate evil. The effects of evil we can hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, but it doesn't say to hate people. The Bible's clear that we're to love our neighbors, even to love our enemies.
to ask. Maybe some of you today, you just have to ask for a heart of forgiveness, a fresh heart of forgiveness. We've been in the Book of Romans today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the epistle. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Now, Pastor Ed, you mentioned the danger of harboring unforgiveness and bitterness. But what about those who are still really hurting and think what happened to them is unforgivable. They might still be thinking, if they forgive the one who did the evil, will they have gotten away with it? Well, first of all, if that's you, and that's how your life is described today, I'm very sorry um, that you've been hurt so deeply, and that the actions that someone took against you fall into the category of unforgivable. That's a super high level of hurt, and I'm very sorry that you're experiencing that pain. And we know for the believer, because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, nothing really is unforgivable. That might be hard for you to hear right now, but you need to hear it. Even in the midst of your pain and how just even thinking about it is stirring up all sorts of difficulties, with the perspective of the cross, nothing is unforgivable. And this idea that If you forgive them, then you're approving of what they did or they got away with it, is not true. They didn't get away with anything. Uh, The sin that they committed brings its own consequences. Remember, when you forgive, you release someone from the debt that they owe you. So you're acknowledging that you've been hurt. You're acknowledging that what they did was wrong. You're acknowledging that they have greatly, greatly hurt you, but you're releasing them because of the great forgiveness you and I have received from Jesus. You're releasing them from the debt that they owe you. And in no way are you approving of what they did, but rather you're releasing them, but you're also releasing yourself from having to rehearse the pain day in and day out. Now, there is a distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. And a lot of times this idea of unforgivable, uh, unwillingness to forgive, has everything to do with the other person unwilling to admit or repent of their sin. And you're like, well, man, if they don't even admit it, then I'm not going to forgive them of it. But that would be a mistake. And you want to forgive them of the sin that they committed against you. And here's the thing. If they don't repent then you're not going to be able to rebuild the relationship. And of course, that's sad. I even have a situation in my life, very, very, that's it. It's so sad. It's so painful. And it's ongoing day by day. The sin that, it's not just a one-time thing. Maybe that's you. Maybe this is just a word from the Lord where the sin against you is not just a one-time thing in the past, But their sin is repeated day after day after day, in some cases for weeks, months, seven plus years or more. And daily you forgive. Like one of our pastors said in our pastor meeting today, he talked about Jesus teaching on forgiveness 70 times seven. And if you have a habit of forgiving 70 times seven, that's a regular habit in your life. (laughs) You're not counting. You're just regularly forgiving. And some people are in situations where we have to forgive every day, sometimes multiple times a day, so that we live in the freedom of forgiveness 
and delivered from bitterness. It's so beautiful. Jesus is so faithful. And I hope that God will work in your life in even deeper ways, but don't withhold your forgiveness. Extend it, let him go, and watch the Lord work. Thanks for those words of encouragement. Hey, are you looking for some good summertime reading? If you're like me and like to pull out a good book to read on vacation, we'd like to recommend Love, The More Excellent Way. In the late 1960s, an entire generation was searching for love. Maybe you've been on your own quest to find it. This encouraging and practical book by Chuck Smith will show you what real love is and how to discover it. You'll learn about God's love for us and our love for God in response. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more by calling 877-30-GRACE. We can't thank you enough for your support. God is doing a wonderful work through the radio these days, and you can be a part of it. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE or go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow for Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor digs deeper into the book of Romans to mine its treasures. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.